Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you as Steve Vaughn is our co-host on this program today. And I'm getting back to a Fox News story that came out just yesterday. An extensive article on Bill Gothard and the Duggars. This time, Ginger Duggars' new book, Becoming Free Indeed, My Story of Disentangling Faith from Fear. So, of course, the Duggars have been in the news for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, they had that big reality program on, was it? Um, HGTV, I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, I don't remember either. And the Duggars have provided some substantial fodder for people who don't like God, to, to say the least. Um, and, of course, that's the way it's always been, that the, the, the world is not going to be friendly to the people of God. Just that's the way it works. And you've got the Ravi Zacharias's of the world and the Jim and Tammy show the Jim and Tammy Baker show from the 1980s. And there's always been opportunities for the world to take full advantage of the more embarrassing elements, the more embarrassing discipline cases that result from the Christian churches. And the enemies of God will never know how to distinguish the good, the bad, and the ugly, or the true from the sham. They can jump all over the tombs of the sham, but they would never know how to distinguish the true from the sham. Are you with me here? Yeah. Yeah, and it, and I mean, it doesn't mean know, that Ravi's everything that he said was unbiblical or bad, but he had some really bad problems, and uh, mm-hmm. but that's what they, everybody looks at was those things that he did that were really, really wrong. And so you know, the, the, it's not as if Fox News and CNN is going to go, yeah, you know, that would be a sheep and that would be a wolf. And over here, what we have is a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, not as if Fox News is going to be able to distinguish these things pretty well. Bottom line, you're always going to have wolves in sheep's clothing in churches. It's always been this way. From the beginning, the devil's good at this stuff. Alexander the coppersmith, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. Jesus, I've chosen 12 of you, but one of you is a demon. All right, so, okay. The church is going to have problem cases, and it, it's going to be presented by the world as an embarrassment to the church. And I think that's what we've seen with some of these stories, some of these scandals that have come out of the Christian church over the last, say, 20 years. And there have been a lot of them. But I don't want to go there. What I want to do today is I, I want to hit this story. It's, it's a public story. It's, it's gone out on a conservative news source, foxnews.com. And it's Ginger Duggar. And to some extent, there's some good news in this story. Um, Ginger Duggar Vuolo finally feels free after being raised to follow religious teachings. She calls cult-like. Here's what she says in the article. I would definitely say that Bill Gothard's philosophy was cult-like in nature. So what she told Fox News Digital. I can't say, oh, it was a cult. I will leave that to the experts. But I will say that a lot of things made it tough for kids to leave or families to leave because the community is so tight-knit. The teachings are based on rules, man-made rules. And the story goes on. This is foxnews.com. Gothard, who was a prominent Christian evangelist, founded the Institute for Basic Life Principles and 
1961, his organization has conducted Bible-based seminars around the country since the 1960s on subjects ranging from conflict resolution to achieving financial success. His so-called chain of command teachings promote the belief that bosses, city leaders, and husbands are put in elevated positions by God. Okay, now I don't really have any trouble with that. God has instituted, you know, political leaders as ministers of God, and we're to submit to the king or submit to to the God-imposed authorities in our lives. Okay, so that part's fine. Uh, Let's see. Quoting from the Duggar one more time, she alleged that Gothard's teachings are based on fear and superstition, which left her with a crippling anxiety that she still struggles with today. There's a healthy fear of God that the Bible speaks of, but it's more of an awe reverence, realizing the greatness of God. But sadly, Bill Gothard would take one verse of the Bible, make it say whatever he wanted it to say, and he would make up his own man-made rules and say, this is the Bible, and then he would have you vow to God to keep the principle. It was very binding. He would say, never break your vow before God. It was fear-based. I remember he would talk about rock music a lot. She recalled, he said, anything with a specific beat in a drum is harmful it's dangerous he told the story of a young man who was in a car accident and died because he was listening to music with drums remember one time on a way to one of the seminars and somebody turned on music with drums in the car i was freaking out i just thought this is it we're going to have a car accident because somebody turned this on i was fearful it just consumed my life some of the things forbidden by iblp include the consumption of television movies romance novels rock music and alcohol that according to chicago magazine all right so on and on it goes and let me just wrap this up. This is, again, Duggar speaking. Whenever I was talking with my husband, Jeremy, because she gets married to this man, Jeremy Willow, and she says, when I talked to him, he was the first one who really challenged my thinking. I'd send my brother-in-law and his family. They did some things differently than we did. They were Christians, but the girls had jobs outside the home. They could wear pants. They were still pleasing God. My husband and I would watch these seminars from Bill Gotha together. I remember he would pause the seminar and say, wow, did you hear what he just said? What does God's word have to say? Is that accurate? Okay, so so that's it. That's pretty much the story. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about this next on Generations. Now, I don't want to spend a great deal of time trying to understand the sorts of things that Bill Gothard was saying or was teaching. Uh, But we are going to talk about some biblical principles, not so much basic life principles, but I want to talk about biblical life principles. In just a moment on Generation, stay with me. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year And we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. Hey, 
And we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson here. And just a few data points before we get into this interaction with Ginger Duggar's uh, latest book and some of the comments she made with Fox News Digital. First of which is, in general, our ministry tries to be careful not to be too critical about other Christian ministries that maintain an evangelical statement of faith. We like to talk about issues rather than specific people and ministries. Now, of course, when they're highly public individuals, we're going to analyze the things they say. So we've done that before. But our our commitment is more to address ideas than it is individuals. It's also true that some ministries aren't going to end up with as much gold, silver, and precious stones after the fire burns. Their ministries will burn, too much wood, hay, and stubble, but to their own master, they will rise and fall. We don't have to be the great judges of the earth determining you know, which ministries have the most merit. Now, of course, as homeschooling parents, as Christian families, we have to decide which materials are going to be the most useful and most helpful to us. It's also easy to put somebody in a slot or label them and assume they're going to be consistent to the label that you give them, but you got to be cautious with that too. They can be inconsistent with the labels that you place upon them, so you don't want to do that. So these are some of the first data points that I take towards analyzing various issues that come up, especially when we consider the sorts of things that people are teaching in ministries and churches across America and around the world. Uh, One more thing that just is a data point, Steve, and that is we did the Gen 2 survey, I'm going to say eight, nine years ago, surveyed 10,000 kids who grew up in Christian homes in the 1990s and 2000s. And, you know, we had a comment section. We talked about the Gen 2 survey before, but we had a comment section in this survey. And the number one complaint and comment by far was kids raised in homes influenced by Bill Gothard. That that just took me back. You know, I thought, oh, wow, (laughs) that's a data point, you know. Seem to be something of a real pushback, not unlike what you're finding with Ginger Duggar. Now, that's just a data point. That's all I'm saying. Now, here's another data point, actually, for the life of Kevin Swanson. My dad attended a Bill Gothard seminar in the 1970s. It would have been, I'm saying, 1974, maybe, 1973, somewhere there. I think we were on deputation at the time. And my dad attended a Bill Gothard seminar in the early 1970s. And, of course, at that time, my folks were some of the very first of the pioneer homeschool families in the world. And uh, they were homeschooling us. And that dad goes off to this Bill Gothard seminar, came back and said, not for us, kids. We're, we're not doing this. We, we got those animal books. Remember the character sketches? Got yeah. some of that. But he said, no, we're not going to use any of this. Uh, so uh, that's just a data point. But let's talk issues. Let's not talk Bill Gothard. Let's just talk issues from a biblical viewpoint, some key biblical life principles. Not so much basic life principles, but biblical life principles. There's some things that we have to keep in mind. So, Steve, I'm going to run down through some of these, and you're welcome to interact. I know I know you've run into some of this stuff before. So, you know, you, you've had to survey materials as a homeschooling dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, when we're looking at what curriculum and things like that, uh, we, we ended up with more of the eclectic view. We chose what we felt was the best for each of our kids and uh, stuck with that. Yeah. And if it, if something better came along, we'd switch things out. Yeah. See what works best for your family, but be sure you buy generation stuff. Yeah. That you didn't have it when we were. I mean, not all of our kids are done. I'm I, 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 I'm just kidding. I I know there's a lot of good stuff out there, and we present yeah. our stuff as another option. I I think a lot of folks 
probably the majority of folks that buy stuff from us are fairly eclectic. You know, they're they're using some of our stuff and some of other people's stuff at the same time. Okay, but here here just a couple of things. First of all, some cautions. Okay, be careful of superstitious ways of handling the Bible and understanding what causes other things, cause and effect relationships. Okay, got to be really cautious. We can't be assigning cause and effect relationships to, say, disease or to accidents or things that are happening to people. That's called, that's called superstition. We have no authority to do so. Only God has determined the ultimate cause-effect relationships. At the end of the day or at the end of the book, Job's comforters are not being supported by God's revelation to them. He's saying, uh-uh, you guys missed it. I do what I do. And I do it for my own reasons. And God's ways are above our ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are God's ways above our ways. So let's not be assigning cause and effect relationships to things that are happening. And we have no authority to rely upon dreams, esoteric interpretations, and applications of the Bible. Some people seem to have a prophetic aura about them. A strange sort of authority conveyed through the way they speak. They convey information at a level of authority that attempts to equate to the authority of Scripture itself. Very dangerous. Usually involves the sloppy use of the phrase, the Lord told me this or that. The minute somebody uses that phrase, now, you know, we don't have any objective way to determine the difference between the authority of revealed scripture and whatever this guy is telling me right now. That's something about speaking presumptuously that was uh, mentioned in Deuteronomy, that if somebody says in the name of the Lord and it doesn't come to pass, he has spoken presumptuously, pay no attention to that yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, Okay, just a couple of principles again, basic principles. First of which is this, the law of God is the standard of right and wrong. Now, we've only said that, you know, 1,148 times on this broadcast, but I think it needs to be underscored because for some reason, Modern evangelical life has either completely abandoned the law of God as the standard for right and wrong, and they won't teach it. They won't equip the man of God for every good work by bringing the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures to bear. But uh, but or or the other idea is they just set their own fences up, their second tier applications. There's a form of legalism that wants to define right and wrong by man's cultural traditions, not by clear biblical law. For example, the Bible does not say drinking wine is wrong. The Bible says drunkenness is wrong. And, and Jesus drank wine. And, and there are cautions, of course, about drunkenness. Not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. But there's nothing in Scripture that says drinking alcohol is wrong. Whether it be mouthwash, beer, or wine, either way, not a sin against God to drink wine. The Bible doesn't say that drums are a sin or listening to rock and roll is a sin. The Bible doesn't say that wearing pants is a sin. The problem, of course, is that those who cross-dress or those who submit themselves to transgender surgeries are violating the laws of God. But, but there's nothing in the Scripture about the sin of wearing pants. Now, I hope folks can see the distinction here. Yeah, the um, I mean, the Bible does. They could get confused with, I think it's in Deuteronomy, about uh, men wearing the things of a woman and woman wearing men's clothing. And uh, but it's it's more of men should not be dressing up as women. <laughs> that that's you know that is 
a, a direct violation. We're seeing plenty of that today with all the drag queen stuff. That is directly against what God said. Yeah, yeah. And, and so what, what we're saying is, you know, some of these things are going to be culturally relative. Why? Because the principle, what, what, what looks like men's clothing in 1830s China <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it, it looks like a dress in 1830s London. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. It, it depends on the culture. There's a cultural relativeness to the application of this particular principle. And so this idea of just simplistically narrowing the application uh, without going back to the principle and saying, you know, what, this is the principle that the word of God brings to bear now. We need to challenge the various jurisdictions as every family makes its own decisions in relation to movies and dress and all these other things. And I'm not going to love God with all of my mind for you and make these decisions for you. You need to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Take the principles of God's word and apply it to your own life and to your own situation. So now the moment at which, you know, I'm loving God with my mind for you, well, now what do we have? We have an external coercive force upon everybody else that evidently is coming from the clergy or from the parental authority here. Now, I do believe there is a parental authority that operates within a family. A father has the right to, to make decisions in relation to his family's diet, clothing, you know, certain things that they are, are, are doing. Now, there's certain lines to be drawn here as well. You know, if the father is addicted to pornography, we're not saying that that's a matter of Christian liberty. Uh, we're saying that uh, at points, the church is going to have to hold the guy accountable to certain standards. So we get that. Where there's a clear violation of God's law, then other brothers and sisters in Christ can come alongside you and say, now, now what's going on here? Let's uh, let's talk about this. How are you applying these principles to your life? And they can ask you some pointed questions and begin to hold you accountable on those particular things. But we're talking about the gray area, talking about areas in which there isn't any objective way to come to the conclusion that this brother or sister is violating the law of God. Friends, we have no business getting into their business on those issues. So the Bible doesn't say that watching movies is a sin. But again, what we're saying is that parents individuals need to discern God's word. And we are as pastors required to bring the standards of God's word to each person and then challenge them to, to properly discern and to properly apply their own minds to the situation and draw proper applications to each and every scenario uh, that they run into. Man's laws tend to be burdensome, highly regulatory, and usually tyrannical. And that's one reason why tyrants whether it be in the church or whether it be in the state or whether it be in a local family, uh, can be rather fearful and dreadful people to be around. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're trying to impose man's rules, whereas God's laws are not a burden. God's laws are actually where we maximize our liberties. We've said this many times. How in the world do you maximize liberty out from under the totalitarianism of, say, the Roman Catholic Church in the 17th century? or the Soviet Union in the 20th century. How do you maximize liberty? Well, you do it by way of God's laws. And, uh, but the minute you start setting up fences, 
you begin to impose regulations that are extra biblical, whether it's be through this church or the state, you're going to create a tyranny. And we see that happening over and over again. All right. So the first principle is this. The law of God is the standard of right and wrong. Principle number two, we are not justified by keeping God's laws. We cannot merit a right standing with God by keeping God's laws. And we can't do it by keeping man's laws either. So either way, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So justification is what? By grace, through faith, by faith <laughs> yeah. alone. Right. Now, when a slave-based merit system appears, which, by the way, is the default for pretty much every fallen human being on earth. For some reason, by nature, <laughs> we're always looking for, you know, the, the minimum set of requirements we can check off to be right with God or to be cool or whatever the case may be. You know? So uh, what happens, though, is the slave-based merit system appears when men abandon God's laws and then they set up man's traditions. And then the message is often quietly sent. And this is the message. If you cannot meet the standards of our traditions, you're out. Okay? That's what happens. You, you get this message one way or another. When, when, when uh, salvation by justification by man's works sort of a message is coming through, when the slave-based merit system appears, usually God's laws are replaced by man's laws. And then what happens? And then man's institutions are out there to be sure they're holding you to the standards of man's laws. And if you are not meeting the standards of the expectations of man's laws, man's traditions, then you're out. And this becomes a means of tyrannical control on the part of the human institution, whether it's a ministry or a church. So again, we are not justified by keeping God's laws. We cannot merit a right standing with God by keeping God's laws, but it is a justification. A right standing with God is obtained by faith and, of course, by the grace of God. Okay, number three, third principle. For some reason, modern Christian apostasy is drawn to two ditches, legalism on the one side and antinomianism on the other. Now, most of us know what legalism is. Antinomianism is a view of being anti-God's law or taking a position against God's law, or not wishing to know God's law, to read God's law, to abide by God's laws, to repent according to God's laws. Now, this is the way I treat these two ditches in my new book coming out in about a month called Worldview, what we believe, what they believe, and why they're wrong. Okay, that book's coming out just about a month or so, but here's a segment from it. Listen to this. The impulse to autonomy or displacing God's law with man's own law is evident everywhere in the fallen world. Okay, it's called autonomy. It's really rebellion against God. There are two forms of autonomy, antinomianism and legalism. There are two ditches on each side of the road, and humans are constantly in one ditch or the other. These also mark out the path to apostasy for those who abandon the Christian faith. On the one side is the tendency to throw off all law and all restraint. On the other side is the tendency to form another set of laws that might be more achievable for a particular person or particular group of person, I would add a set of laws that's conveniently imposed upon others by a tyrannical force. The legalist, on the one hand, begins by drawing up an extra set of rules that usually entail certain easily monitored external behavioral characteristics involving what? What's easily monitored? Dress, food laws, manners, methods of education, so forth. These are not necessarily wrong applications. Individual families might choose to incorporate these into family life and culture. Sometimes this involves a narrowing of an application of an already existing biblical principle. The Bible, say, commands or commends 
commands and commends a modesty of heart and dress, and yet stops short of recommending a certain style. Over time, however, the legalist will unconsciously or subconsciously displace God's law with these traditional applications, and these standards are imposed on the entire church community. In the mind of the adherents, these then become defining characteristics of a Christian. Instead of merely seeing them as authentic fruits of repentance and the new life, and sometimes individual applications to the principles of God's laws, these become a checklist by which one may achieve the status of a Christian, and a merit system of salvation by works emerges. It's also not uncommon for those raised in legalist homes to throw off all moral restraint and move over into the other ditch, antinomianism, where they break all God's commandments at will. Christian groups will move from the legalist form of autonomy to a refusal to define sin by God's law and a total rejection of the transforming power of the gospel itself. This all amounts to a lapse of faith and the trappings of Christian apostasy. So in terms of doctrine, justification, and sanctification are distinct but not separate. To separate them results in a merit-based sanctification on the one side or an antinomian justification on the other side. So in other words, a right doctrine on these things, really, really crucial. Let me end with this one principle as well. I think this is really critical. When we analyze ministries, friends, consider this. The tendency to over-control your church members or your teen children or your ministry partners is based in a belief in the sovereignty of man over the sovereignty of God. Now listen to this. Heart belief in the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is absolutely essential for any Christian pastor or parent. Otherwise, what happens? If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, you come to think that your attempts to maintain control over others, like your kids, your emotional contrivances, your logical persuasions, your child discipline, or for the church, your altar calls, your programs, your methods, your whatever you do is going to result in good behavior or the salvation of others. That's a subtle shift that happens in the mind, and it's really, really fatal for pastors and parents and uh, people who head up ministries. This is a major doctrinal issue. If you get this wrong, you get a lot of things wrong. And the source of this terrible fear or dread experienced in Christian families is, is this fear of man, which usually comes out of a wrong view of the sovereignty of man's will. And so you get this control freak dad or this anger-filled home, which ultimately hasn't really submitted to the sovereignty of God, but the sovereignty of mom, the sovereignty of dad, is displacing the sovereignty of God. When it comes to our salvation, what does the Bible say? John 1.13, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So who controls the rebirth? It's, it's God entirely. God's choice is preeminent and primary, not yours and not mine. I can't, I can't somehow emotionally contrive somebody into the kingdom of God. I can't do that. I can't change my kid's heart. I can't do that. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. All right, so, you know, there's a lot of ministries constantly talking about your choice, your choice. You got to choose, you got to choose, you got to choose. Bible doesn't have anything to say about that. Bible talks about God's choice, God's choosing, God's election. That's the emphasis of Scripture. So you see this in emphasis. You see this emphasis upon the will of man, the sovereignty of man's will that often shows up in ministries, and you've got to be sniffing this stuff out. God's choice is absolutely primary. Not yours, not mine. There's no squeezing around these verses, guys. Romans 9.15, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy. 
I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. So that's not of him who wills. It's not about some dad who's just going to will it. It's not of him that runs. It's not some pastor who just tries really, really hard, forces people with the message as hard as he possibly can. No, no, no. It's of God who shows mercy. So the point is, friends, your worldview matters. Do you believe in the sovereignty of man or do you believe in the ultimate sovereignty of God when it comes to these ultimate issues? You will live out what you believe. What you believe about these things will affect your life, your parenting, your outlook, and your behavior. Now, now listen carefully. I'm just going to balance this thing out. Number one, man is responsible for his sin. Absolutely. Man is responsible for his choices to sin. Yes. But salvation is of the Lord. Your children will get saved if God works in them to save them. And when we begin to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's only because God has already worked in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He uses us as parents to plant seeds and to water the seeds, but the farmer is not sovereign over the harvest. We cannot be control freaks about plants bearing fruit. Have you ever gotten out there and yelled at your plant, Steve? Like, you know, you're going to bear fruit or else. I haven't, but my wife has. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the control freak farmer is going to yield good fruit. Yeah. I don't think so. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast, friends. I, I would encourage you to root and ground yourself in the right thinking on these things. And that's why I've summarized all of this really in my new book, Worldview. What we believe, what they believe, and why they're wrong. We're starting with a, a biblical framework on the most basic questions, the most basic issues relating to what? Relating to reality, sovereignty, revelation, authority in revelation. How do we believe what we believe and why do we believe it? And, of course, the issues of salvation, redemption, and the importance of the church. So I go through all of these basic issues in this new book coming out called Worldview, what we believe, what they believe, and why they're wrong. And there's a a strong apologetic element to it as well in which we contrast other religions and worldviews. That book coming out in just a month or two. Uh, this is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.